All right, boys and girls, what's up? It's Duncan J. This is the Dude Cast. Dumb opinions of Duncan. Um, I'm here, and I've got my cigars. And I've got my Diet Mountain Dew. I'm gonna share a little story with you this evening, or afternoon, or morning, or whenever you're listening to it. Um, this is a story about how I got into comedy. Uh, I didn't always. I wasn't always shooting as to become a stand-up comedian, <clears throat> like from a very early time in my life, I was—I uh, wanted to be an actor, and um, you know, I, I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York City. That's a—it's a pretty reputable school. Um, it had a two-year program, and the other two programs that I had auditioned for were four-year programs, and they're very stringent. When you're in those acting programs, they're very stringent about not. Um, not working, not doing professional work while you're in their program. Um, in fact, that's that's why Robin Williams originally, when he went to Juilliard, he got kicked out of Juilliard because he was doing professional work as a stand-up comic. Um, and so he he got kicked out of Juilliard. Then he became the great actor slash comedian that he was, and they gave him a honorary doctorate for um, his his body of work. Anyways. Uh, so I was going to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and I, you know, got out of school and got some work right away. In fact, it was it was very. I had like there was at least six months that I got work that I before I even had to start waiting tables in New York City. So, um, but you know, you had to do the hustle, you had to do the pay your dues, all that good stuff. So, I was going to school, got out of school, started pursuing acting. And then shortly after that, there was a SAG strike in the summer of 2001. It's where, uh, if you guys, some of y'all might remember the Dell guy, the dude, you're getting a Dell. Well, there was a SAG strike when he was shooting those commercials, and he actually got fined and, and literally black, almost blackballed from uh, the Screen Actors Guild for crossing the picket line to film those commercials. So um, there was that, and then when the SAG strike ended. Uh, there was um, uh, 9-11. 9-11 happened, right? Bang, bang, back to back. So pretty much everything kind of dried up as far as auditions and and, and live shows. Like There was a lot of stuff that kind of dried up. People were afraid to do anything in New York City for a while after, after 9-11. In fact, when uh, they did have a, you know, starting to come back to some sem- semblance of normalcy, there was... Um, you know, they were putting big names in like Broadway shows, like like people who hadn't really done theater. Like they put Jason Biggs was in um, The Graduate with uh, 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 oh God, what was her name? With Kathleen Turner, uh, she played Mrs. Robinson. Uh, in fact, uh, there was uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Um, not Ewan McGregor. Um, damn, the dude. I'll think of it. Ethan Hawke. Uh, the Ethan Hawke. He actually was in an off, off, off Broadway show, um, and they paid him a ton of money just to get asses in the seats to bring people back to the theater, back to entertainment in New York City. So if you hadn't established yourself by that point, you're really, you know, low man on the totem pole. So I took a day job working for this entertainment company. Now I'd already been working for the entertainment company, emceeing weddings, bar mitzvahs. You know, DJing and uh, you know, roadie doing the roadie work and stuff like that. But um, I took a, a day position as a salesman for this company, 
and it was it was a pretty big. I mean, it was a million dollars, million dollar company, and I was making really good money. Like they were, let's see, they was what like uh, I got like a ten percent commission on anything I sold. Our smallest package was three thousand dollars, so I was getting three hundred dollars every time I sold a package, plus whatever I added onto it. Because usually when you when you book a bar mitzvah, most people book it like a year, sometimes two years in advance. And so you have plenty of time to put in the add-ons, you know, like you know, different types of you know entertainment, whether it be a photo booth or big sumo. I remember the the biggest party we did was probably while I was there was at the Hammerstein Ballroom, um, and they spent about a quarter of a million dollars just on entertainment with us. Um, it was insane. It was insane. Uh, like like on on uh, Saturday night, <laughs> Saturday night, LL Cool J was there. And then on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, it was the Goldstein bar mitzvah. So that's, that's it was a pretty big deal, Hammerstein Ballroom. So, uh, anyways, I was I was doing sales for that company, and I'd been doing. I guess I got into it for. I was there for about a year when I got this this proverbial itch that needed to be scratched. You know, like I needed. To, I had to. You know, because yeah, I was doing entertainment, but it was all cookie cutter. Like everything we did was the same as last week, which is the same as the week before. I mean, I even tried to do new games. Like, I would, like, there these games that we play with the kids and stuff like that, and I tried to do new stuff just so it would be fun for me. Like, it would be, like, not as boring for me. And um, I remember this one one party I did, and the kids loved it. They loved, well, I can't even remember what the game was, but it was it was something that was that hadn't been done at, at these bar mitzvahs, like, in a while or ever or whatever. And um, so I, I thought it was great. I had a great time. Kids had a great time. Come Tuesday morning when I get back to the office, I've got a voicemail and talk to the client of, a, of mine. I was emceeing a bar mitzvah that their kid was there and their kid's party was like two weeks out. And they're like, yeah, you know the thing that you did at the Goldstein's bar mitzvah? Yeah, we don't want that. So I was like, oh, okay. So I basically, it was monotony. Um, and, you know, when you, as an entertainer, you, you have to be creative. You have this creative itch that needs to be scratched. So I, I answered an ad in Backstage Magazine. Backstage, not Backpage, okay? For those of you listening who aren't in the entertainment industry, Backstage is the uh, publication that is put out uh, weekly uh, in New York City that tells of all the auditions coming up within the next, you know, two or three days, two or three weeks, whatever it is. So I answered an ad in backstage for an um, improv troupe. And this was like at the height of whose line is it anyway. So I went in and I auditioned for it. And it was great. I had a great time. You know, I loved doing improv when I was in college. I loved improv, you know, with friends and stuff like that, actor friends. It was just a lot of fun. So um, what happened was, the way it was set up, this lady, she was, uh, I forget her name, but she was in uh, Hannah and Her Sisters. That was her big credit. And now, if you don't know what Hannah and Her Sisters is, in, this was in the early 2000s. So that movie was probably already 15 years old at this time. So she was riding that credit, but she, she ran the troupe. And what she did was, she would, anybody who wanted to, you know, who was in the group, they wanted to come and, and perform. She would sell you four tickets for $20. So basically pay for play, you know. 
but you were allowed to take those tickets and sell them to anyone else that you found for whatever amount you wanted to. So I literally would take them and sell them for $10 a piece to either people I knew or people that I saw that I, on the street or whatever. I would make, I would double my money. So, but the cool thing was, is like, she actually liked me as an MC. Like I was good as a, as a host because I already had, you know, stage presence. I'd already been in theater and acting and stuff like that. I was already good on a microphone because I'd been MCing the weddings and the bar mitzvahs. So if you MC'd the shows, you didn't have to pay. So I was there quite often. And it was at the uh, 20, the um, New York Comedy Club, which was on 24th Street in New York City, uh, between, I think, 2nd and 3rd. Anyways, um, long story short was is that every time after the show, they would ask us if we wanted to hang around and watch the comedy show, which we none of us ever did because A, we were broke and they had a two-drink minimum, and B, we, none of us, we were like, you know, improv actors, so we just kind of like, oh, I'm not a stand-up, and then really for the longest time, I thought I couldn't do stand-up, I was like, I'm, I'm funny in the moment, I'm funny like, you know, in, 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 in converse, conversation, you know, I, I don't know if I could, you know, do that, you know, write, you know, be a standout. So, fast forward a couple months, I guess, I, I think I'd just broken up with a girl, and I didn't really didn't have anything else to do that night, and I was just kind of bummed, I was like, just, oh, fuck it, I'll buy a couple of drinks, I'll hang out, see what this, this stand-up shit's all about. Man, it was like a, it was a showcase. There was probably like seven or eight guys on it, and uh, I only remember two of them. It was Adam Hunter was on that show, and uh, and and my one of my you know mentors, uh, future mentors at that time, uh, Angelo Lozada. Anyways, um, that was just so poppy. So um, they were on the show, and uh, I remember them because I became friends with them like later. As I became a stand-up, but I, I I distinctly remember them on the show. Everybody else was on the show. I was just like, man, I'm I'm funnier than these guys. Like half the top of my head, if I if I wrote some shit down, I mean, I could I could do this. So that was when I got I guess that was when I got the interest to get on stage. So I started doing some writing, started doing some research, going to a couple open mics here and there. And I went to this open mic, this, the, the first open mic I ever did, the first open mic I ever got on stage at was this, I was down the, um, the east, it was, well, it was, the, it was technically the Lower East Side. It was, um, God, I forget the name of the venue, but it was, um, it was this, this little dive bar right on, right, up, right off of Houston, and it was like, it was like this bar, this, like this burlesque thing from the, like the 60s. Like you walk, but if you've ever seen Bronx Tale, that that bar, that's kind of what it looked like. When you walked in, it was dark. Everything was made of wood. The outside had this art deco looking thing to it. And you walk in, you're like, oh my God, am I in the right place? And then you, you there's like this little corner that you took. And you walk to the back, you take a corner, and it opened up into this like little black box theater. Like it was a huge stage, sat like 60 people, and the place was packed. I mean, every seat was taken. Now, Come to find out, every seat was taken by another comedian. The name of the tr the name of the show was the Tuesday Night Trainwreck. It was aptly named. Oh my God, it was such a perfect name for it because literally, you got all these comics sitting there 
waiting for other comics to get up and do their thing or waiting for comics to just get off the stage while you're wasting my time or they're writing down your, you know, your, your premises and stealing your bits and shit. Anyways, um, so I get up there. Jerry Gay, good friend of mine now. Jerry Gay was the host of that. He ran it for like six or seven years. And basically, that's why he got bit by the bug. I got bit by that bug. And that improv kind of helped me go in there. I bombed. I bombed horribly my first set. My first show was just garbage. Just fucking awful. Um, but I learned a lot from that. I learned what not to do. And then, you know, as it went on, as I, as I started getting up in more rooms, you know, the, the Village Lantern, going over to, uh, you know, uh, Boston Comedy Club at the time, doing their open mic, you know, just doing the rounds in the city. Um, I was, it was great because I got a lot of great experience. I met a lot of cool people. I got, um, I got, you know, a lot of, a lot of great friends out of that. And then, um, but every time I would go back to the, the, to the train wreck, I would fucking, you know, you know, you tank, you take, but if you got a chuckle, if you got a chuckle on a joke in that, um, in that room, that joke is gold. That joke is gold. I actually still have material that I fall back on sometimes to this day that I wrote in that room. That's how, that's how, like, that's how solid those jokes would be if you got a chuckle out of a comic in that room. Now, fast forward to, uh, January 6th. Um, 2003, a bunch of us from the, from the, um, the group at the at New York Comedy Club that were doing the improv, we broke off and did our own thing. We would do, we were doing sketch, we were doing stand up, we were, we had, uh, 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 musicians come in, we did improv, we had, it was, a, it was, a, it was basically a, an all out fucking, uh, you know, variety show that we did every Monday, um, at this place called Tobacco Road. And uh, I'm still friends with those guys today. They, they, some of them are amazing guys. Some of them gone on to do production. Some of them gone on to do really big things. I, I got a buddy of mine uh, who actually just wrapped the, la the, the, the this last season of uh, the marvelous Miss Maisel. A guy named Austin Basis. He's he's amazing, dude. Um, anyways, and that right there was the that was my birthday, uh, January sixth at Tobacco Road, uh, 2003, which was literally right just out just outside the Port Authority. It was like, there's Port Authority, and then there, there, this was the only bar there. And the only reason we stopped doing it is because the people that owned Tobacco Road ended up selling it, and they sold it to, you know, it became a gay bar, so they're like, yeah, no, we've got it on entertainment. Thank you. Ta-ta. T-H-T-F-N. Ta-ta for now. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so that's, um, that's pretty much the... the, the long and short of it of how i got into stand-up comedy and you know as they say the rest is proverbial history all right guys uh that's the story for this episode um i hope you like it bye all right guys so i just want to add a little um info here at the end uh, check out all the venues that I'm going to be performing at, okay? Um, support them, even if I'm not there. You know, we got Rooney's down in Palm Bay. Um, we've got uh, the Salty Sisters coming up. That's going to be a great show. Um, we've got um, uh, Wids Place over in Melbourne. Check all these places out. Winfields, especially Social Distance. They've been very, very, very good to us. And, um, you know, if there's any other venues that you might think that 
I would be, you know, you want want to see me at? Let me know. I'll call them up. I'll see if they want to do a show. All right, this is Duncan J, guys. Thanks for listening to Dudecast. I hope you're having a great day, and I'll see y'all real soon.